The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back to the third half of our three-hour tour known as The Tom Sumner Program, and we seem to be three for three today. Um, In fact, uh, this feels more like a Friday the 13th show than a Monday the 13th show. Um, Actually, uh, all three scheduled guests, for some reason, either last-minute scheduling changes or uh, technical difficulties, um, we've had to uh, do last-minute substitutions, and, and we are now three for three in our three-hour tour. I was going to be talking with um, an expert in antimicrobial resistance, and this is an interesting uh, conversation to be sure but we'll have to um we'll have to reschedule it for another time and i hope we uh i hope we get to do that soon because basically it's talking about a uh you know kind of a biological arms race uh, as the post-antibiotic era ensues and tim starzel the uh son of uh, famed uh MD, PhD, Thomas Starzl, who's best known as the father of modern uh, transplantation, was supposed to be my guest today. Would have been a good companion with uh, what we started out with earlier with uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Calvin Lung talking about lung transplantation and COVID. And then, of course, uh, this last hour with... um, who did we have this last hour? Oh, yeah, John uh, Roadhamel 
talking about uh, America's original sin. Uh, fascinating conversation to be sure um, but we're going to have to pull from the archives for a uh, repeat of my conversation about the hundred worst ideas by uh, humorist and, and author Mike Smith that's uh, straight ahead hey welcome back everybody uh, we continue today's uh, edition of the Tom Sumner program with a conversation I've been really looking forward to um, a, uh, a new audio book is out uh, from the entertainment writing and uh, production skills of uh, Michael N. Smith and Eric Kasem. And it's called A Hundred of the Worst Ideas in History, Humanity's Thundering <laughs> Brainstorms Turned Blundering Brain Farts. <laughs> And, uh, it, and it has an Edsel on the, co- on the cover, as, as well as platform shoes and uh, lawn darts, I think. Anyway, joining me by phone is Mike Smith. Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, great to be here, Tom. Always a pleasure. Um, something tells me that, that the idea for this book started in a bar. You know what? Almost. <laughs> if, you, if you want to consider my kitchen island uh, a bar, which many people do when we have parties, uh, yes, it started there, and that's where I met um, my co-author, Eric Kassim, and uh, the adult beverages were flowing, uh, shall we say, and uh, not unlike uh, the character uh, Cliff Clavin on Cheers, if we all remember that show. Uh <laughs> I was the know-it-all at the end of the bar, shall we say, island, kitchen island. And I said, you know, listen, I've got some, some crazy ideas in my head that, that I collected over the years. So I started to tell the story of this and of that. And uh, then Eric, he, you know, he went through his personal Rolodex in his brain. And he, and he would follow up and it got into one of these kind of one-upmanship one uh, kind of things. And the crowd kind of gathered around and they're judging from the oohs and the ahs and the Laughter, by the time it was over, I turned to Eric and said, hey, either we've got a college-level drinking game here or the idea for a book. So we, we, uh, we decided it was a book, and we also knew that just having like 10 ideas is not enough for a book. So we, uh, we ventured to a place, Tom, I don't know if your audience is familiar with this place. It's called a library. Uh, it's where there are books. I've I've and, heard of and, that. I think they had one in Back <laughs> to the Future, didn't they? they yeah, back in the uh, back in the dark ages, they had these places called libraries. People would go there, books, quiet, study, research. We spent a bunch of time there researching bad ideas, and we went on the internet, of course. And after uh, that journey of thirty-six months, we uh, we came up with what uh, Eric likes to call the creme de la creme of really stinking thinking, and that led to the book. <laughs> You know what's funny about this is is um, I, uh, I used to play music for a living and I traveled around the country in bands and stuff. And we would find ourselves, you know, after a gig or on a day off in a hotel room somewhere, just sharing weird stories, just crazy sure. anecdotal things. And I remember once talking about an ad campaign, and you'll appreciate this because you've written a lot of advertising in your career. Right. Um, Coca-Cola had a slogan that said, Coke adds life. Yes. And when they shipped it overseas for billboard production, in the translation, 
it got botched. So they had billboards all over Italy that said, Coke, it brings you back from the dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, if you you go back far enough into the 1800s, Coke used to have cocaine in it. So maybe in a sense it, it brought your mind back from the dead or something. I, I don't know, but, but yes, that is a, that's definitely one of those international faux pas right there. Oh, and, and, I've, uh, and I've talked to a number of writers who've had their work translated into other languages looking for little gems like that. But what are the kinds of gems we see as the worst ideas in history? Well, as long as we're on the topic of Coke, uh, and I'm then by that I'm Coca-Cola. <laughs> I, I already know where you're going with this, Mike. It's the, uh, it's the new Coke. In the book, we call it New Coke's product launch goes from fizzy to flat. And the bad idea, and of course, the book is filled with uh, all kinds of mankind's uh, astonishing faux pas, foibles, and follow-ups, as we call it. But this bad idea was to change the flavor of the world's most popular soft drink. And the geniuses behind it are the senior execs at the Coca-Cola company back in 1985. So let me set the stage for this one because it's really pretty astonishing. Uh, So we're in the bubbly affluence of post-World War II America, and Coke is the cola that's preferred by 60, 60% of the market. It's huge. Yet by 1983... Pesky rival Pepsi has begun to outsell Coke among coveted youth demographics. And, you know, that is the most important demographic for any product. The Pepsi generation. Uh, The Pepsi generation, and those are the people who are prone to try new things. So that's why advertisers like to uh, target, or another word is victimize them. Uh, So as as Coke's market share sunk, or sinks, I should say, to 24%, down from 60%. They're starting to sweat, right? So Coke CEO Roberto Goizieta uh, orders a rethinking of the company's entire operations. Even Coke's century-old secret formula is reevaluated. So despite a, a generations-long reign as the world's top-selling soft drink, the real thing, uh, it's a bastion of cool-headed product stability, now sweating in the heat of competition, and it's ready to change its flavor. Coke researchers fan out across America armed with trial samples of new Coke, a slightly sweeter, more uh, Pepsi-like take on the soda's traditional flavor. And in blind taste tests, uh, Tom, the consumers choose new Coke over both traditional Coke and Pepsi by pretty wide margins. But in focus groups where you get more qualitative uh, rather than quantitative data, Coke and Pepsi, uh, I mean new Coke, I should say, is met with far less enthusiasm. Still... Coke management is thirsty for a winner, and they launched the new taste of Coca-Cola to mark the company's 100-year celebration in 1985. And public reaction, as I said earlier, immediately goes from fizzy to flat, particularly among Coke loyalists. So within days, the company receives over 400,000 distraught calls and angry letters a psychiatrist is brought in to evaluate the tenor of the consumer calls, and he states that they sound like people mourning the loss of a, uh, of a loved one. Even Fidel Castro, good old Fidel, criticizes the move as another example of American decadence. So with boycotts <laughs> looming, just three months after its historic birth, New Coke 
its history. Traditionally formulated Coke is now termed Coca-Cola Classic and is reintroduced. So after hundreds of millions of dollars spent testing and marketing new Coke, executives conclude that they had simply underestimated the public's deep and abiding emotional attachment to the original. Well, now, the button, the button at the end of that real quick, Tom, is that conspiracy theorists later contended that this was nothing more than a ploy to boost Coca-Cola, original Coke sales all along. But the CEO, Roberto Gonzalo, later said <clears throat> in a great quote, he said, we are neither smart enough nor stupid enough to come up with that strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring up the conspiracy theory because... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it, uh, well, if it had been, it, it worked because Coke sales uh, blasted off once again. But... Boy, what a what a circuitous way to, to make that happen if that was real. But it was so funny branding it Coke Classic, and that was um, actually I I knew people who were professionals in the advertising business who really honestly believed that that was about boosting traditional Coke sales. Well, they denied it. Uh, who's to say? All I remember is back uh, in that era. I was merchandising uh, beer, a job I had in college. And I would go into these supermarkets, and I saw, you know, all of a sudden there's this uh, new Coke on these big end cap displays. So I go in the supermarket, and I have to put my, my beer display somewhere nearby. Not more than a two months later, I walk in. It's all gone. <laughs> all of, the, all of the, uh, the new Coke is gone, and in that same end cap is Coca-Cola Classic. They turned that thing around on a dime. They knew that they had made a terrible mistake and just and just did a 180. It was amazing. That's amazing. I I saw an uh, an public television roundtable discussion with former presidential chiefs of staff, ah. and they were reminiscing about their times in the White House, and mm -hmm. the the uh, moderator asked them, "How do you go about?" getting the president of the united states off of a damn fool idea oh yeah and and it was so much fun hearing him talk about um donald rumsfeld talked about how he prevented uh richard nixon from following up on an idea to give all 1100 white house staffers lie detector tests <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, you know, I, 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 I don't think there was anybody really representing him. But but you couldn't you couldn't listen to that conversation without thinking of Mike Dukakis sitting with his sleeves rolled up and a helmet on, riding in a tank. Oh, in the tank! Oh, that yeah, famous tank his, photo. His nineteen eighty-eight election campaign was pretty much sunk by that uh, that silly photo. You look like a little kid. Playing, playing army. He know, really did. He really did yeah. get his tie loosened and his shirt sleeves rolled up like, I'm going to play tank now. <laughs> <laughs> More about the worst ideas in history with author Mike Smith straight ahead. The Tom Summer Program.com Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More about the worst ideas in history with author Mike Smith, straight ahead. Well, I'll tell you, that, that reminds me of another story in the book about a president, and apparently nobody talked him out of this idea. Uh, if you want to hear about it, I'd be yeah, happy to please. tell you about the, uh, about the skinny-dipping president. And no, it's not Bill Clinton, as some people have, have guessed. It's, um, we call this one in the book, The President's Scandalous and bear ass meant. If you get my not so subtle humor there, <laughs> got it. Uh, and uh, and Tom, this gives this gives crack of dawn a whole new meaning because each morning, <laughs> President John Quincy Adams, one of our favorites, sneaks down to the Potomac, undresses, and proceeds to skinny dip with the ducks and geese, as we say in the book, all the while naked as a jaybird. So a female reporter named Anne Royal somehow hears about this and hides out in the Potomac's foliage and catches the uh, <laughs> unsuspecting president in the buff. So she, she takes his clothes and holds them ransom. And so he's standing there with no clothes on, uh, holds them ransom until he agrees to grant her a long awaited interview. He's been putting off. So he, uh, he gets his clothes back. She gets the interview. She doesn't mention his, shall we say, ballsy morning escapades. But uh, soon word gets out, and now Adams, as it always does in Washington, and now Adams is swimming in a pool of, we say, national ridicule and shame. And as a result, the Adams administration's policy agenda stalls, and he's soundly defeated for re-election uh, in 1828 by Andrew Jackson. And in the end, the electorate considered Adams sagging credibility and, shall we say, saggy backside, and concludes the emperor has no clothes. Oh, God, that's so funny. And I was so convinced that you were going to say JFK. Oh, no, not JFK, although uh, there are other, certainly other stories about him. Not so much skinny dipping. He was just no, the re- pursuing the, the chicks. The reason is Secret Service uh, revelations over the years have um, revealed that Ted Kennedy skinny dipped routinely every morning. Oh, always oh, is in, that right? Always in a private pool, and I, for a minute, when you, when you said, a, <laughs> you know, a president before Bill Clinton, and you started with John, I thought for sure you were going to say JFK, <laughs> like it was a family thing. <laughs> oh no! It, although you know, a little cherry on the top of that cupcake of a story is that uh, apparently, back in those days, it was they were geared to do that uh, because uh, both Benjamin Franklin and later Teddy Roosevelt were also said to be fans of skinny dipping, and I'm not sure, uh, Tom, that's a mental image you want any of your listeners to have right now as we listen to the broadcast, but uh, those guys were big, and apparently also um, Franklin was big on air drying himself, which meant that when he would skinny dip, uh, he would get out of the water and walk around and, and air dry, nat- all natural. Yeah, but I bet he wasn't in the buff when he flew that kite. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> that would be <laughs> kind of risky. Charge, that electrical charge could have gone anywhere. you got to be careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's, so, uh, but but this I, kind I, of I, stuff I, is funny. How did you, how did you find a, a hundred, or, or should I say, how did you limit it to a hundred? Because I feel like we could do this all day, Mike. Oh, well, we, we had many bad ideas that there was no shortage once we started digging in uh we tried to be non-political about it you know how stratified and tribal 
that is today. It, it's a it's a humorous book. It doesn't try to make political points. But there were many from the world of politics, but we also covered, my gosh, we have uh, you know, fashion, entertainment, sports. Um, did, you, that, yeah. did you stay away, Mike, from, from things that resulted in, in actual disasters where people got hurt or killed well, to keep it light and to keep it fun? Mostly, but there are a couple in there that are, that are certainly serious. I mean, we have the Titanic, which everybody knows about, but, but we, came, we found five bad ideas that contributed to the one bad idea of the Titanic sinking. Uh, happy to tell you about that one, but you know, there was also the Hindenburg and, and, and that sort of thing. So there were, there were bad ideas that did result in loss of life, but for the most part, I'll give you an example if you're, if you're open yeah, to this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's a lighter one. Uh, we call this one, <laughs> it still makes me laugh, how to, <laughs> lip, how to lip sync, S-I-N-K, a music career. And this, the bad idea here is to create a pop music group used to play records, so I think you'll appreciate this, uh, led by two singers who cannot sing. And the genius behind this is Frank Farian, who is this uh, uber-successful German music producer, and this is back in 1988. So this Farian uh, this guy is looking for the next big thing in music, and he's scouring the 1980s Berlin club scene, and he happens upon models, male models, Fabrice Morvan and Rob Pilatus, and they're tearing up the dance floor. And to most onlookers, they're no more than hunky, good-looking guys, hunky, prancing boy toys. But to Farian, they're the ideal frontmen for a new band, and soon the pop group Millie Vanilli is born. One problem, as I noted earlier, neither Rob nor Fab can sing. So to cover that rather glaring deficiency, uh, Farian secretly hires professional vocalists to record all Millie Vanilli songs and then directs Rob and Fab to lip sync to these recordings whenever performing live. Okay, so Millie Vanilli takes off like a hip-hopping missile and then, <laughs> as we say in the book, just as quickly, the missile explodes. And in a 1989 MTV Live concert, Rob and Fab are lip-syncing and gyrating to their monster hit, Girl, You Know It's True, when the recording skips, forcing them to repeat <laughs> the same line of the song over and over. Tom, it was, Girl, you know it. Girl, you know it. Girl, you know it. So oh, man. The Millie Vanilli fraud is exposed. Outraged fans demand that the musical imposters be strung up by their dreadlocks. Dozens of lawsuits follow. Arista Records breaks the recording contract. The band's Best New Artist Grammy Award is returned in shame, and their short-lived careers in disarray. Fab slips into obscurity, and unfortunately, Rob dies of a drug overdose in 1998. But in the wake of this Millie Vanilli debacle, lip-syncing has become a pretty hot topic uh, these days among critics and fans, with everyone at well, it's, to it's, the, it's the norm. At uh, Barack Obama's uh, inauguration, there was a string quartet. Yes, that played. Remember, big name people. Yeah, Itzhak Perlman on violin, Yo-Yo Ma on cello. I don't remember the other two, and mm -hmm. they were faking it oh. to pre-recorded tracks they had done. And the explanation they gave later was the reason they did it was because it was very cold that day, and the instruments wouldn't hold a tune. Yeah. 
So well, they, they I, had a technical know. reason for doing it, but I still felt like, why are you going to have this kind of talent get up there and pretend to play? That well, yeah, and when you think, Tom, of the cost these days of a concert ticket, wouldn't it be nice if they were actually, I mean, you've already got the recording. You're streaming it or you've got it on yeah. an old CD or whatever. Wouldn't it be nice if they were actually performing it for the, for the $100 ticket or $200 ticket you've got there? Uh, it, it's, a little, it's a little presumptuous. It's a little arrogant, I should say, of them to think otherwise. A great old-time radio story from my own personal library, Mike, was yeah. I worked uh, at a public radio station, and I was um, a board operator. I, I hosted mm-hmm. a couple of shows, but but I also worked some shifts where I just played tapes and did, you know, top-of-the-hour IDs and stuff and changed the tapes out when they needed to be changed. And so sure. I've got this big reel, and it's playing a tape, and all of a sudden, in the middle of this piece, it starts skipping. Oh, no. Now, oh, no. it's not a record where you can give it a little thump, you know, and, and, and get it... Right, you know, take the needle and let it, let it bounce over. Yeah. yeah, and get it back in the, in the groove, so to speak, and the phone starts ringing. Oh, and God. the first call I get is from a listener who said, hey, your record's skipping. And when I said it's a tape, the laughter was infectious. I, it, it, became, <laughs> it became the funniest thing ever. And, and I talked to the guy who produced the tape a couple days later and told him about it. And he said, you know, I thought that tape ended up long. well years ago tom i worked at a public uh radio station in in buffalo new york and uh in the evening it was classical it it was uh, or i should say downstairs was am news and then at night it was jazz and then upstairs was classical fm and the same thing happened on the fm station because there was no dj it was just continuous classical music and I, I just remember the, the, uh, there, there was hell to pay for the engineer who was not sitting there listening to it at the time that it was playing and was apparently out having a smoke in the parking lot back when people had smokes in parking lots. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it was a very difficult situation. Uh, it gave the 1812 overture a whole new meaning when the bombs were exploding and everything else. <laughs> and there went the guy's job, you know, up in smoke with it. Well, I thought about pulling the thing and, and just going to filler music. And about the time I was ready to take action, the skipping stopped and it went on with the program oh. as planned. So oh, it, good. it ended up playing pretty much as, as was. Um, <coughs> but but those are those are great little human foibles. It's it's so much funnier when it's played out, you know, on the national and world stage the way these episodes uh in in your book and in the audio book a hundred of the worst ideas in history um when they play out that way. Um, mm-hmm. You want to share a couple more favorites uh from sure. the book? We were just talking about uh, <laughs> we were just talking about music and radio. We'd love to tell you about uh, under the heading of major league stupidity in the book. This one is called "Disco Inferno Singes the White Sox." 
And so this has a sports and a radio connotation to it. And Tom, it's July of 1979, and we're at the high point of the platform shoe and and, uh, (laughs) polyester leisure suit era known as disco. And uh, as popular as disco was, in fact, I was a club uh, DJ, I'm going to date myself here, uh, back in the disco era, and I, I know that a lot of people liked it and a lot of people hated disco music. And that whole uh, look-at-me disco attitude, especially diehard sports fans. So, Well, there was, there so, was kind of a, a, a hot trend there for a little while for um, almost a resurgence of ballroom dancing. It, that's what it was, and it, it really had a short life. It was really from 77 maybe to 81 or 2 was really the the extent of it but but this story talks about how what maybe hastened its uh, demise because <laughs> because uh, enter chicago disc jockey steve Dahl, and he comes up with something called disco demolition night and here's how it works you gotta hear this for just 98 cents plus a vinyl disco record you get into a chicago white Sox baseball doubleheader oh, and between this. games Dahl collects up the records piles them up in the outfield and then uses explosives to blow them to smithereens. <laughs> Could never happen today. <laughs> so here's the problem, as if that's not a big enough problem. Here's a, you know, upon detonation, a crater forms in the outfield. Vinyl <laughs> shards fly through the air like shrapnel. A fire erupts and fueled by okay. beer and, shall we say, other stimulants. Uh, the, the disco despising crowd, the uh, stadium crowd, is then spilling onto the field. The people come in from the parking lot hopping the turnstiles. Soon a full-scale riot is raging with fans wrecking batting cages, gouging the infield turf, burning banners. Scores of people are injured. Hundreds are arrested. Detroit Tiger manager Sparky Anderson uh, takes one look at the mayhem and refuses to allow his team onto the field for game two of the doubleheader, and that marks the last time an American League team, in this case the White Sox, are forced to forfeit a game. They got an automatic loss out of that. But Steve Dow later unrepentant and said yeah i killed disco and that uh, that event did it <laughs> and and i thought it was and i thought it was the t-shirts <laughs> that said i hate well disco. it could be <laughs> it could be that too there was quite a backlash against it it, it had come up in the shall we say the, the the gay club scene of of new york la san francisco chicago and there was i guess some resentment back and maybe some homophobia but when it came down to it it was it was repetitive music it was all about ballroom dancing it had a wide berth at first and then kind of narrowed and then eventually died the image of uh, the book that i'm looking at is uh, of the audio book a hundred of the worst ideas in history humanity's thundering brainstorms turned to blundering brain farts by uh, mike smith and eric Cassum. and i'm sorry i mispronounced his name earlier uh, Cassum. Cassum. uh-huh um, and I'm terrible with names, Mike, so thanks for, <laughs> okay. thanks for that correction. But sure. um, what I was curious about is when the book, when you finished the book, how long it took to do the book, and, and when you finished it, when it dropped, as they say. Uh, it took us about uh, three years of research to do it. Uh, it took another year or so to write it. We found a publisher in Chicago that was... Uh, actually, a couple that got into a little bit of the bidding war. Uh, not the first time authors make any any great amount of money, but we got to, in advance. Uh, it came out a couple of years back. Um, it took me 
you know, I'm one of the rare authors, I guess you could say, who is also uh, adept at uh, audio and video uh, uh, editing and mixing. So uh, it was just a natural uh, sidestep over into audio to bring these stories to life through what I knew how to do, which was gather uh, voiceover people. We, we pulled upon some friends of ours up in Hollywood. You know, we're south of L.A. where I am right now to do voices and impressions. We added music and sound effects. Uh, that took probably another year or so. Uh, so just a few months back, we came out with the audio book. The, the original book has done pretty well on, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other outlets. And now on Audible, the audio book is available. And I just think it brings history to life in a way that, that a printed book really can't. So when we have a story about war, you hear the bombs explode or the, oh, nice. the soldiers charging up the hill and you've got music accompaniment. And it's a... You know, I read some of the stories. Eric reads some of the stories. It's 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 just a fun way to listen to it, and it opens up the audience time. I think because now, uh, with the audio book, you're in your car, you're exercising, you're traveling. It's just a heck of a lot easier than trying to read a book. <laughs> Hopefully, not reading a book while you're driving, but it opens up the possibilities to how you can enjoy the content. And one more quick point I wanted to make is for every. Uh, audiobook or printed book we sell we're donating one to local schools here in california oh fun because yeah because you know tom between you and me uh, history is just not taught uh all that much or taught properly in my estimation in school these days and as a result we have a, a history ignorant uh, generation coming up and you know the old saying if you don't know history you're doomed to repeat it exactly and in you just hit on one of my touchstones because I think history is is so much more interesting when it's presented through stories than yeah. dates and places and you know the the way it's mm-hmm. the way history has historically been taught and yeah. and and also I think um audio is the best medium for storytelling. I think it is, too. It's You know, they used to call it back when I was in school, uh, history was all about dead guys and dates. Yep. Well, we're trying to we're trying to get past that uh, and make it relevant. So these stories are written from a very human point of view. Uh, the idea here is to allow the reader not only to be entertained and informed, but rather to hear about uh, the foibles and faux pas and say, well, I, you know, I've made a few mistakes in my life, too. I can relate to this kind of a uh, bad idea. Uh, and it just brings history to life and makes it relatable uh, in a way that I think the old dead guys and dates thing just could never do. Well, this is, is so great. And I can't believe that I'm only just now learning about it. And I, I, <coughs> I feel bad about that. At, at first glance, I thought, wow, what a cool pandemic project. <laughs> yes. Yes, it, it was. And it, and it is because, you know, we... You know, business dropped, you know, my, my advertising business dropped during the pandemic and, and uh, as everybody's did. So I, I said, what am I going to do with myself? Um, and I had, uh, you know, we had the book or the printed book already. Uh, so I said, well, now is the time. Now is the, if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? Uh, I'm in my 60s at this point. So it's, it's, uh, it's time to take action. So we, we hunkered down and read all of the stories and brought in, as I said, these Hollywood voice actors and they're doing impressions of Reagan and, and uh, doing impressions of Al Gore and things like that in the book. <laughs> uh, and it's really good. Uh, and then we put the music and sound effects in. So it's a, 
again, it's a way to tell a story that's engaging and gets people interested in, in learning and laughing uh, and maybe retaining some of this. So, again, we don't have to repeat it later in life. Well, I, uh, I, I think this is great, and it's long overdue that uh, we actually put a spotlight on hysterical stinking thinking. <laughs> historical hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> that's even better Mike yes. it is so much fun talking with you I feel like we could do this all day um, but uh, thanks for, for sharing a few of those those stories and, and thanks for sharing all of the stories in the book and now the audio book um, and, and thanks for spending this time with me this morning I really appreciate it uh, my pleasure, and you know, there's there's 96 others we haven't talked about. So if you'd like to, <laughs> you'd like to have me back at any point, I'd be happy to regale you with some others. Well, we we should do that. In fact, we should we should uh, maybe maybe we could make a segment. Ah, worst ideas in history, and just <laughs> and just do a different one each day. Yeah, or, or idea on number Fridays. 47. Here yeah, it is. yeah, idea exactly. number 14. Here it is. Oh God, that'd be fun. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, Mike, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and about, of course, this project, 100 of the Worst Ideas in History, but all of your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yeah, I think the uh, the one I'd like to refer people to the most uh, updated and fun is 100worstideas.com. So it's the number 100worstideas.com. That's where you're going to find out about me, any other projects we've got going on, reviews of the book, and so forth. Um, also, obviously, you can get the book at uh, Amazon, as is the law, Tom. You must have your book available on Amazon, uh, <laughs> or, or the police come and take you away. Uh, also, at Barnes & Noble, find retailers everywhere. The audiobook, as you mentioned, is audible.com, Amazon, and iTunes. Well, Mike, thanks so much, and, uh, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you, and I uh, hope we talk again, Tom. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Again, Mike Smith and um, his partner, Eric Kassam, and the, the book is 100 of the Worst Ideas in History. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner programs.
And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. 
More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a book written called Psychological Studies of Famous Americans, and it examines from a psychological viewpoint uh, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant and uh, Walt Whitman, people like this, and tries to explain in terms of psychology why these people acted the way they did, that they really did not act from... uh, from valor or anything else, that there were deep psychological problems these people had, and that's why they reacted the way they did. One person they skipped that I thought would be a great subject for analysis, if they had analysis when he was around, was uh, Ben Franklin. I think he... (laughs) I think this man is ripe for analysis. So this is uh, Ben's analyst. And he's in a typical analyst's office. He has a, a, a desk and a chair and a couch and an intercom. Yeah, uh, who, who, uh, who is it, Murray? Ben, ben Franklin. Um, can, I, uh, can I duck him, Murray? <laughs> he's, he's, he's standing right there in the office. He's, he's dripping all over the rugs. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, send him in, Mary. Uh, uh, Mary, how, how's he doing on his account? Uh, th- three months behind, huh? Yeah, he's, he's thrifty, all right, Mary. He's... All right, send him in, send him in. Well, hi, hi there, Ben. How are you today? Good. Ben, you want to you lie down on the couch there? Uh, ben, you want to put some papers down on the couch so... <laughs> Don't uh, don't get the couch all wet. Oh, I'd, I'd say from the looks of our clothes, we've been uh, flying the kite again in the rainstorm, right, Ben? <clears throat> okay, Ben. Um, we copied down our dreams, did we? Mm-hmm. You, you didn't have to. It's the same one. You're you're walking down the street. And you, you find a half dollar, and your face is on it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick, Ben, you know that? <laughs> Washington has the same dream, only he sees his face on paper. Huh? Do you want to you give George my number, uh, Ben? <laughs> Okay, Ben, let's, let's see if we can't get to the bottom of this kite fixation thing. Um, the, uh, the lightning knocked you down again, uh, did it, Ben? <laughs> you're, you're not surprised by that, though, are you? I mean, you, you expect it to knock you down, don't you? <laughs> you know, Ben, uh, 
You being a founding father and all, you know, it, uh, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in people to see a, you know, a grown man flying a kite, you know. <laughs> it's too bad it, it, it isn't something a little more private, you know, you could, you could do in the privacy of your own room, like uh, spinning a top, you know, <laughs> some, something like that. You ever, ever thought of spinning a top, Ben? Wouldn't, wouldn't knock you down. Hmm? That's, that's important to you, is it, Ben? The, mm -hmm. Okay, let, let me see if I have the picture now, Ben. Uh, <coughs> you're flying your kite, all right, Ben? <laughs> and you're letting out the string. Everything's the same as usual. There's, there's something different this time. You, you use strips of cloth for the tail. Red, white, and blue strips of cloth. <laughs> where'd, uh, where'd you get the red, white, and blue strips of cloth, Ben? From, from Betsy Ross. She, she's got plenty of it. She, she's up to wearing it, Ben? Now, uh, Be uh, Betsy gave you the cloth, did she, Ben? You, you took the cloth. A, a penny saved is a penny earned. Why, uh, why didn't you ask uh, Betsy for the cloth, Ben? She thinks you're a sissy because you wear bows on your shoes. <laughs> and, and she chased you down the street yelling, you're not thrifty, you're cheap. <laughs> she, uh, she could have something there, Ben. Not, nothing, nothing, Ben. Mm -hmm. Why, uh, why didn't you uh, pay Betsy uh, for, for the cloth, Ben? Keep what is dear to you if, if you would prosper. Mm -hmm. Ben, I, I think we can get a lot more done if, if you drop the little homilies after, after each, uh, <laughs> each statement. Ben, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with, with a kite thing. Uh, let's switch to something else. How, how are the inventions uh, coming along, Ben? You, you got lucky this morning. You, you don't have to wear your bifocals anymore. The, the lightning fused your glasses to your eyeballs. <laughs> what, uh, what are you going to call them, Ben? Con contact lenses. Ben, I, I, uh, I sure would like to be more optimistic about your condition, but I'm uh, <laughs> afraid I'm going to have to recommend a shock treatment, Ben. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to do it because there are always uh, undesirable side effects. Well, what, what we do, Ben, is uh, we stick you inside the Liberty Bell and, uh, and we, <clears throat> we uh, ring it a couple times, you know. Well, uh, the problem is you, you, you quiver for about two or three years, you see. <laughs> ben, I'm afraid our time is almost up. We'll see you uh, next, next Thursday then. Right. Goodbye, Ben. You, you get him, Mary? He ran, ran out already, huh? <laughs> <laughs> This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. It felt more like Friday the 13th and Monday the 13th, and my apologies. If you had seen the post uh, last night and this morning, um, we had to make some last-minute changes. In fact, we were three for three today with last-minute changes. Welcome to live radio, folks. I don't know if it's Monday or the 13th or just live radio, but... uh, It was uh, a little frantic here. We had to reschedule Catholic Charities for tomorrow at 11 o'clock. We had uh, some technical difficulties with the phone, but I was able to air an interview uh, about lung transplantation and uh, COVID with Dr. Calvin Lung from from, uh, Northwestern Medicine, which had not aired yet. And uh, also, we... uh, had to reschedule Ada Ferrer, or Ferrar, maybe. Um, she's uh, an NYU historian who's written a book called Cuba, an American History. And I was, I'm really looking forward to that. I am going to be, uh, we have rescheduled that interview, and it will play sometime in the near future. But instead, I got to play an interview I did last week with John Roadhamel. Uh, about his book, America's Original Sin. Very interesting uh, interview that hadn't aired yet. And we stuck in an encore just for fun with uh, ad exec Mike Smith about his book, A Hundred of the Worst Ideas in History. We put that in in place of Tim Starzl. I'm not sure what happened with Tim, but we will uh, hopefully get that one rescheduled as well. He did... um, he is an expert in antimicrobial resistance, and it's kind of an interesting thing as antibiotics uh, are not working as well against certain kinds of evolving viruses and so on. Anyway, uh, we'll try to reschedule that one as well, but like I say, it was uh, an interesting day, and, and but still great interviews that just weren't scheduled originally, but ended up be in the case and there's smoking george winters tickling the ivories let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but i'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the tom sumner program and hopefully everybody that's scheduled will uh, show up but check facebook for listings although they are subject to change anyway uh have a great day folks and i guess i'll just uh, leave it there and say good night everyone program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the flint area Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.